Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thank you for tuning in to assess the latest situation in the Brexit saga. The cliff edge draws ever nearer. And on one level, of course, it is completely circuitous, the debate. Nothing has changed. We have these moments of epic drama or apparently epic dramas the vote where a prime minister loses by over 200 on the most important proposition to be put before the house of commons uh, since 1945 and the one on which she has told the house of commons that she believes with her head and her heart is much the best way forward and yet nothing changes uh, she carries on she pops up uh, few days later with more or less the same proposition and yet at every apparent twist and turn we learn a little more there was a revealing exchange in the house of commons on one of these days theresa may's there most days and answers the same questions with the same answers in a sort of surreal way but ed miliband got up the other day and said to her look will you please become the servant of this house of commons and we can find a way through this will you facilitate the house of commons to be the uh, power in sorting out the brexit situation and she replied i am the servant of the people and i think it was very revealing about her mindset which is that since she got into number 10 she has regarded it as her duty to deliver that 2016 referendum result and has rationalized that in doing so she is serving the people and to move away from that path in any way at all would be to render her leadership a failure and as she would I think rationalize it a betrayal of the people so she could as she has done lost her party's overall majority in an election she has endured a vote of no confidence in her leadership and her deal fell by this historic defeat the other week over 200 majority against her deal and yet her raison d'etre is still in place she is still there trying to deliver as she sees it for the people and that feeds her instinctive obstinacy her inability to twist and turn as other more agile leaders would have done long ago it's so interesting now danny finkelstein in the times recently wrote a column looking at how harold wilson might have dealt with this situation and although he's very reluctant to directly criticize may he concluded or implied that wilson would have been a lot more imaginative and at some point offered a referendum on her deal let's leave to her rather than wilson versus no deal 
I argued in a column in July, if she had political agility, that's what she should do. It's not what I want her to do, but from her perspective, it was obvious to me in the summer that she could have argued, we've had one referendum on whether or not to leave the European Union, and I will not revisit that. However, I will have a referendum on the best means of leaving, my deal or no deal. And hopefully in that context, Remain would have got on the ballot paper as well, but she wouldn't have initiated that. That would have had to have come from the House of Commons. But she is wholly inflexible. She cannot think political. She is the least political of all prime ministers in that she almost stands apart from the storms and dramas erupting around her, whereas other prime ministers would be obsessively working out the impact of the storms on them personally, what they would have to do to calm the storms. She kind of carries on almost as if they aren't there and she's not part of them. Uh, Now that, in some ways, leads to a kind of indestructibility in the current context. Uh, She presses on. She cannot face another vote of confidence amongst Conservative MPs. They blew that one. She's quite lucky in her internal opponents. They are weak in the cabinet and they are weak in the parliamentary party. Weaker, actually, than she has realised. She is still neurotically appeasing Brexit hardliners, as she has done all the way through. But So far, she has had the space to personally just press on, to stay in position and not be challenged. Corbyn held his vote of confidence, an act that he had to go through because when a prime minister is slaughtered on an historic vote, not to call one then, when do you call one? But Corbyn was in one of those places quite often with party leaders where they're trapped. He had to do something that was going to help her and not him. So she won the vote of confidence. And that means, for now anyway, there won't be a general election. So there she is, in place. No one will challenge her. The Conservatives can't. The Cabinet are wary of organising a coup against her, a Thatcher-style coup. Remember, the Cabinet turned against Thatcher in 1990 because the cabinet is completely split over Brexit and would be terrified that a different figure would emerge who would be even worse than May as their new prime minister. So she keeps going and in a way it's a form of guile without being conscious as to the deviousness in her in, in the case of her she, she's becoming increasingly fascinating however she remains in this impossible position of seeking to woo her hardliners with a plodding pledge to renegotiate the backstop to return to Brussels to the Irish government to seek some way through having said repeatedly that there was no alternative to the backstop. And this is one of the more accurate statements she's made in recent times. This is the other curious thing about Theresa May because she lacks language and artistry and persuasive powers and wit and humour. She has to rather transparently 
to put it politely, be economical with the truth. She said again and again there was nothing that could be done about the backstop in any permutation. The backstop would have to still be there, and that's right, because there has to be some kind of guarantee about the soft border in Ireland unless you were going to completely disrupt the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process, or risk the UK splitting up. Now, once you've reached that conclusion, there has to be some kind of way of guaranteeing that before the European Union moves on, or indeed before Theresa May moves on, because she agrees with the European Union about the importance of the soft border. But there she is now, once more, bringing in Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Ian Duncan Smith, David Davis, for talks about the backstop and how she can get something from the European Union. I'll be surprised if she gets something that fundamentally deals with the hardliners' view of the backstop, which basically they wanted out. Boris Johnson has said so explicitly. Others have said, well, we want a time limit. We want a guarantee that we could unilaterally withdraw from it. Well, if she gets that, the backstop is meaningless. So she is plodding along a path full of landmines, and yet it is the only route she was ever capable of taking. When she said after her defeat, that my door is open for negotiations with people in this house. She didn't say, I am ready to shift my position. That phrase, my door is open, was not an invitation to an entirely new approach, Norway plus, a referendum, or so on. However, even though she has adopted a predictably stubborn approach to this post-defeat phase of the drama, she still holds a lot of the cards. She is the one who will be, in the end, able to facilitate whatever happens. And I think that's even the case, really, if this important amendment or motion is passed uh, that Yvette Cooper and others are putting forward, that in effect gives the House of Commons some control of the process. It's an attempt to rule out a no deal. And even if that is passed and the no deal option is off the table, in the end it is going to be the Prime Minister who facilitates whatever happens. A Brexit of some form, an extension of Article 50, a referendum. You can't have a government sitting there passively waiting to be told what to do next by the House of Commons, I think. And I certainly can't imagine May sitting there saying, oh, you want a referendum? I will go and fix that. I still can't see how that dynamic works. So even though, and this is a good thing, in a hung parliament, the House of Commons is going to tell to some extent, I think, what the executive can and cannot do, I think in the end the end result of Brexit will be determined more by May, and I think she will still be Prime Minister, than a majority position in the House of Commons. We'll have to see. If if the House of Commons comes to a majority for a referendum or a soft, softer Brexit, Norway plus or whatever, the pressure on her would be overwhelming to change policy. But 
I think she has rationalised this servant of the people business, that her interpretation of Brexit and the deal as currently constituted is very much hers. Free movement ending, limited involvement of the European Court. She said it was no involvement. That's not true. And other, other red lines of hers. It's no single market involvement. Financial services can go and sort themselves out, but help for some manufacturing and so on. It was her kind of vision of Brexit, which she thinks was the people's vision. Now, is she going to facilitate something completely different? I doubt it. Therefore, I still think, I don't want this, but I think the most likely outcome of this is some form of her deal getting through. She will use, as far as she can, the threat of no deal. Even if that is taken off the table, I think she will be awkward and unyielding. And that in the end, one way or another, she scrapes through. I don't know how. I don't know what the concessions are that she could get. But I just think in the end, a prime minister has uh, facilitating powers that whatever the House of Commons do in the next week, and I hope they do a lot, and I think and hope the Yvette Cooper proposition will be carried next week, she still holds quite a lot of the cards. The other possibility I think now is the referendum option I've wanted us to stay in the European Union it seems to me much the best outcome of all of this and I've always thought the simplest way would be for the House of Commons to revoke article 50 face the immediate uproar and just get on with it it's simpler more honest and could be done but it's not going to be done so the referendum route is the only other option. But I'm really interested in the proposal put forward by Stella Creasy and others for these people's juries, citizens' juries, to sit and examine the issues. It's something that Gordon Brown has put forward as well. And he suggested a year's delay, which on many levels is a nightmare, but every route is a nightmare in all of this, and have these citizens' juries. Because what it does, I think, is genuinely raise the level of the debate in a way that a referendum won't. We all know what a referendum campaign is like. It's not remotely to do with reality. It's a battle to win a vote, and people say and do things to win the battle. It's not about educating the electorate at all. But this would be, I think, based on the experience in Ireland where they've had these citizens' juries looking at complex, highly charged issues like abortion and other matters before a referendum. And so some kind of context to a referendum in which people are engaged in the complexity of this issue, I think might be the way in which you could then legitimise the referendum and the tone of it might be different. I mean, who knew in that 2016 referendum the difference between a single market and the customs union i didn't know the customs union didn't come up during that 2016 referendum that's all people are talking about now i said this to a friend of mine the, uh, the other day i said you know, let's be honest who knew about single market and the customs union and could you now summarize for me please the difference between the two and he did it brilliantly in about two sentences but he's a genius, this friend of mine. I, most people, it wouldn't have crossed their minds. Who has studied in detail a trade deal? A lot of 
the EU is to do with trade and agreements and deals and alternative deals. I've thought it would be interesting to do it sort of like a thriller, not a dry technical study, to do an anatomy of a trade deal. And what happens in general terms during trade deals, A, they take years to resolve in nearly all cases, and B, there are compromises on both sides, and C, in effect, rules are in place that both sides have to agree to to legitimise the trade deal, and D, there are institutions managing those rules to make sure that they are adhered to and are working. And there, in a way, you have in a trade deal a kind of mini European Union. So if there was this fantasy, you know, oh, this American trade deal which will be so good for the UK, with a president who says he acts solely in the interests of the United States, you watch it happen and unfold and the complexities of it and the compromises that are reached and the rules that are put in place. So let's let's look at all these things with citizens' juries, people's juries. I think it would be a good preliminary exercise if there were to be another referendum. And if there is parliamentary paralysis, that is obviously the way to go. I think it's quite interesting that people like William Hague have basically said now he sees the referendum as the only way forward. I'm really surprised at the number of MPs on both sides who now think a general election is going to be the outcome, and quite soon. I still don't see it. I don't see how, for a start, the Conservatives can fight a general election, with Brexit being at the centre of it. You can just about see how Labour contrive a sort of Harold Wilson-like manifesto in which they say they will renegotiate Brexit and put it to a referendum. Some kind of fudge which brings in as many of their people as they can over Brexit. But would the Conservative manifesto be on May's Brexit? A renegotiation of Brexit, in which case May's deal, which she, and she would be leading them in this election, is not the one that they fight. Anyway, it's impossible to see how they do it. Or surely would be willing to risk one at the moment. Conservative MPs must still hope, and hope is the great driving force in politics, even when things look dire. People wonder whether something might turn up. Conservative MPs must wonder if they can navigate their way through this hell. There might be some less dark skies on the other side. But, you know, I hear a lot of MPs say this is paralysis. We don't want a referendum. A general election would be better. I don't see how it answers any of the questions. I merely report that people think that. But I think it is less likely than a referendum, I would hope, on the back of these citizens' juries, or uh, may somehow or other almost imposing on the House of Commons and Parliament a revised version of her deal and threatening no deal as an alternative. None of these are satisfactory, that one being the least satisfactory, because we then embark on a never-ending nightmare of a trade deal negotiation to follow, which will be far more complicated than her withdrawal agreement. There will be no answer to the Irish question if it's fudged even more to get the withdrawal deal through. It will be hellish. 
but it might happen and it would be better than no deal which would be a calamity on so many different levels i'm now wonder whether that is her genuine second preference and not a threat i remember yvette cooper who has had a brilliant few months in in this whole drama saying to Theresa May at that liaison committee where all the chairs of the committees question the Prime Minister uh, she said I've known you for 20 years Prime Minister and I know you wouldn't lead us to no deal so why not say it and I can see what Yvette Cooper meant May reads every paper has a kind of sense of duty although I think she now conflates her own party survival and her survival as Prime Minister with the national interest, which leads her in dangerous directions. But I think because May has decided that it is her duty to deliver this referendum as close to March 2019 as she can, servant of the people, as she says, I'm beginning to wonder that she would, in the end, navigate towards no deal in order to deliver Brexit. I don't know. I don't know. People like Philip Hammond have talked to her long ago about this being calamitous and got the impression that she agreed with him and she has gone on the record stating the problems with it. But servant of the people, my job is to deliver this 2016 referendum result and to do anything else would undermine her whole stormy period in number 10 i think it is just possible she would accept and instigate and it would be up to her to do so the extension to article 50 that is clearly absolutely essential there's no time for any of this in the next few weeks i noticed that she's adamant she won't revoke article 50 but she's never unequivocally recently ruled out an extension she's often said we are leaving on march the 28th blah de blah de blah de blah but she said many things that uh, she unsays subsequently as if she never said it in the first place these days so i think an extension of article 50 is likely in fact has to happen and the sooner that that is established the better and we get ready for either a version of her deal or a referendum and i can't see an election surely no deal will be stopped i'll tell you one thing that if there is no deal historians will be fascinated with this for in centuries to come when you have a prime minister a chancellor governor of the bank of england a leader of the opposition a shadow chancellor all the other parties nicola sturgeon in scotland everywhere you look opposed to no deal if it were to happen well what a victory for that small number of brexit hardliners who let's be uh, worried and dark about it have won just about every campaign they've instigated for the last 25 years so um they never stop and are much more ruthless and brutal the rest of us are too nice she's scared of them and she thinks they represent the people so things will be a bit clearer next week perhaps but we've said this so many times you know every time you feel you're on the edge of history taking new shape and then you 
find you're in exactly the same place as you were before but at some point this has to be resolved the first part of this never-ending sequence anyway and I think there should be some clarity next week when she comes back with whatever proposition she puts to the House of Commons and then these amendments are voted on and MPs must do their duty she's rationalized she's doing hers but actually deep down she is prioritizing her party wooing her hardliners and doing so having convinced herself that she's doing it for the country She's in a strange, strange place. Corbyn has his own problems, but I think the biggest problem he has is his inability to frame arguments convincingly. There is an argument, I think I explained it last time, for Labour's position, and you could put it quite simply. They consider a referendum. This is about the means to the end, but their favoured end at the moment is a customs union close to membership of a single market whatever that means you can give some clarity to that if you want or the artifice of clarity with workers rights from the EU uh, enshrined in law and environmental rights and actually say claim that this is what the majority wants but you don't rule out deciding this with a referendum and fully acknowledge that many people including many supporters in that referendum would choose remain over that option i mean you can you can sort of frame it in a way that makes it look dynamic and purposeful even though you're papering over the cracks and you can explain why you've got to that position but Corbyn hides behind his campaign against no deal and May wanting to withdraw no deal I think by the way he was right not to go to those cosmetic talks that she offered because it was a trap for sure he could have popped out and said I put my case she refused to listen but why lend credibility to an offer that was so obviously not fully meant? As Hilary Benn said, my door was open, this was May, but my mind is closed. But there is a way of framing a case, and so few do it in British politics at the moment. May can't argue a case, she's not a persuader, she's got no language. And this is not what Jeremy Corbyn has been about all his political career kind of trying to bring um, uh, an outcome in the House of Commons and bring with him the wider electorate and so on it's not what he's been about and in, in a way Europe is an as big a nightmare for him as as it is for May in a different way you know as a leader he wants to talk about so many other things the domestic issues that he raises when he can inequality the state of public services and all these other things workers rights and all these kind of things nationalizing the railways but he's stuck on Europe which demands of party leaders because of all the internal divisions language guile kind of expedient deviousness and 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 he can't do it or it's almost to his credit that he's not devious he, he just can't be it's just not in his style it's all too obvious and clunky when he tries to be but those are the qualities required and he better be clear very soon what end he seeks and the means to bring it about like Harold Wilson 
in the mid-70s, Blair over the single currency in the late 90s, and so on. It's not easy. But nothing, nothing about this Brexit saga is easy. Thanks very much for listening. I'm doing two shows in March on at King's Place. Oh, March the 11th and March the 13th. The March 13th one sell out, sold out, I think, before Christmas. And so they put another one on on March the 11th in the main hall. And uh, one, two places as well near uh, in Brighton and Shoreham and so on. So hope to see you in some of those. But if you can't make them, I'll be back here very soon. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.